talented housewife. Thank, welcome to Ariel. So first of all, like we're going to discuss about startups, what person okay. needs to know. We'd get to know about you a little bit. Then afterwards, then we mm -hmm. talk about startups and the obstacles and challenges that person might face and how they can overcome okay. the challenges. I see your videos that you're doing also. They're really encouraging. I like it. I like it. And um, yeah, Thank let's, you. Start, Thank let's you. start. Let's start. Let's start getting to know you. Who is Farida here? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such a tough question to answer. Um, but usually in one sentence, I like to say that I'm a social entrepreneur and an active citizen. Mm -hmm. um, social entrepreneur because everything I do, even, even though it's entrepreneurship, I also do profit alongside impact. Mm -hmm. you know, um, I feel it's very unrealistic as Africans, as Nigerians, for us to start businesses that will not impact our communities because we see the challenges, you know, there's so many socioeconomic challenges from different aspects. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense for you to make a, to build a business just for profit. Yeah. It's okay to make impact and make profit. So that's why I'm a social entrepreneur. So everything I do, you know, from Jamuji to Northern Life to, to the Beef Academy, you know, mm -hmm. to Lumo Naturals, to Adobe by Lumo, so everything the, has an a, angle. The show that you're doing, the entrepreneurship show? Yes, the startup show. Yeah, the startup yeah. show, yeah. So everything, so everything is about, you know, giving back as much as I've gotten, you know, and teaching as much as I know. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like it's not like I know a lot, but of course I'm more than willing to share what I know. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like when you start a business, you feel so alone. Um, it feels like everybody's hoarding their secrets and you really just want to ask questions sometimes. You want to know that, you know, this problem is visible. This is, oh, they took the light. Okay. Anyways, I hope you can <laughs> still hear me. <laughs> yeah, <I'm okay. laughs> so, so these issues are, you know, very peculiar to every one of us. And so that is why I chose to be a social entrepreneur because I really want to share as much as I know. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm active citizen because I believe that, um, you know, again, coming from the point of view of we have so many, so many socioeconomic problems, I believe that we cannot just allow our leadership to just do what it feels like doing. As citizens, we have, um, we have to know our it. rights. We have to understand our rights. Mm -hmm. We have to be willing to push the needle when it comes to leadership and leadership crisis. Mm -hmm. So for me, that is what it's all about, you know. And, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, that's a very uh, broad and like very straightforward like definition about a <laughs> <laughs> yes. social entrepreneur so uh, if if i may ask like um what mm -hmm. motivated you to become a social entrepreneur but you i like the flashlight the person who is flashing it is like thank you very much for the person who is flashing that i uh, know right like we need the <laughs> flashlight while we wait for the light to come yeah so, um, <laughs> what motivated you to become like a social entrepreneur um I don't think there. I don't think the motivation like happened once. Yeah. I think I think I just knew that um, I wanted to solve a problem. So for me, going natural. When I went natural ten years ago, um, there was not much information about natural hair. Um, there weren't many natural hair salons. So when you say you want to go to a natural hair salon, people are like, "What is that?" Mm -hmm. So so it it took me a while, and I think every year I sort of pushed myself to do more and be more. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up being a social In fact, I didn't even know social entrepreneurship was a word or even a thing until like two, three years ago, you know, because this is something that has been evolving. And, and most of the time, I'm the kind of person where when I want to do something, I actually just plan it and just start doing it. I don't, I don't usually like look around to see who is doing it, um, you know, how do I emulate that person. I just yeah. 
go straight ahead and just do what I can do. Mm -hmm. So, so it's not something that happened overnight. Um, it's something that happened gradually. You know, when I started the business, I just wanted to create a space where people like me can feel welcome and comfortable. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't like waiting in salons, you know, for the women that are in here. I don't like waiting in salons. Um, I don't like the whole noisy environment that salons give. I know that, you know, as black women, we like to go to the salon just to, you know, relax and talk, but I didn't yeah. like that. I also wanted to go to a salon where um, there were not too many men just coming in and out, you know, because I like my privacy, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, when whether it's it's uh, it's the hairstylist or, or the person helping the stylist, I just wanted it to just be a women thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So... When I started Lumonachos, that was the dream. That was the vision. Um, and then after starting the business, I now realized that a lot of people from low-income you know, and underserved communities did not have as much opportunities as I had growing up. And I was like, how can I use my business to help them? Mm -hmm. you know? And so that was how social entrepreneurship started for me. Like, how do I just help this community, this little community around me? How do I help and, you know, make it happen and make it work for them and make their life better as much as I can? So we started doing, like, scholarships. We started taking stylists that had oh, a vision to go back to school. So mm -hmm. we were teaching them, you know, making, helping them to save money so that they can go back to school. So a lot of our stylists have gone back to school to become, you know, university graduates, to actually go back to learning um, night school. So just helping as much as I can. And then over time, like, <laughs> you know, so so that was really how it was for me. It was really a journey. All right. So um, now let's let's go deep into the startup. So for someone who wants to start up a business, basically you have to know some basic information about business. You have to plan. You have to have a business model, and so on and so forth. What is the most mm -hmm. essential part of starting a business? You said, what, what is what? Sorry, I didn't get that part. The most essential part of starting a business. Essential part. Oh, the most essential side of, part of starting a business. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think I would say is actually because when you start at the beginning, sometimes the vision is not completely clear. But you want to start anyways because you feel the need within you to do something, right? Um, either to do something to earn an income or to do something to change the status quo around you or to do something mm -hmm. to make other people's lives better. So whatever your vision is, you know that you just want to do something, but the vision is not clear yet. Now, as you go along on that journey, you're going to discover so much of yourself and the people around you and also so much of that vision you're trying to build. So it's, it's more or less about having the courage to say, this is not working, let me change tactics, yeah. right? It's, it's having the courage to say, this idea was not such a good idea. This idea is not a million dollar idea. It's a hundred thousand naira idea. And right now I cannot afford to do that, right? Yeah. It's having the courage to say, this business needs a lot of money and I don't have the money and I don't know how to raise the money. Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to do to make it happen? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think the most essential part of starting and running a business is really having the courage to be flexible. If you don't have the courage to be flexible, then you either 
fall out or you find a way to preserve it and it might not be long term because mm. i look at businesses as things we should do that should outlive us right mm. i don't look at businesses as something i can do and just move on i look at a business as something you can do for the next 100 200 300 years mm -hmm. because you want to leave a legacy and you want someone else to take the button and continue from where you stopped mm -hmm. so essentially is really having the courage to be flexible and you know for me in the field i've learned the hard way to be flexible i've changed my business model so many times to adapt to the realities of the economy you know, I give you a quick example of what is happening now in the economy. A lot of people don't have purchasing power. Yeah. If you are setting up a business right now or you're, or you're adamant on continuing a business that requires people to spend so much every week, you're not going to break even. You're not going to have the cash flow you need to sustain your overheads. So it's really important that you're always looking at the market, you're looking at the people you're trying to service, and you're saying, how can I meet you at your point of need? How can I still deliver value without overstretching myself too much? Mm -hmm. So for me, it really is the courage to be flexible. All right. So after you have the courage to be flexible, like, uh, for example, <laughs> I, I always like, the reason actually I'm, I'm more interested in working and talking to you because I consider mm -hmm. my business a startup also, for example. It's not a business, yeah. I say, because I'm doing it for free. Um, mm -hmm. I don't basically charge anybody for anything i just try to bring out this content for people to like and then i make a monthly yeah. so for someone like me or not someone like me but someone who wants to start a business for example after the person has this courage to to make this change what else does mm -hmm. the person for example or some people would think that they need very much capital for example to start a business additionally maybe they need to have like a shop or something like that so for a startup it depends mm -hmm. on what kind of business you want to do basically i i also know that yeah so what other thing, like not other thing, but what what is the next step after you have the courage? What next step do you need to follow? Um, I think the next step is to really roll up your sleeves and be ready to do the work. Like mm -hmm. you said, it depends on the industry. So yeah. I give you a, an example with yourself now. What you're doing is free at the moment. Why? Because you're trying to build momentum. Mm -hmm. There are very few people that are going to invest in an idea that says, I'm trying to push you know, cultural um, information. I'm yeah. trying to increase diversity and inclusion. What people see in the media, I want to say that, yes, there are other people that are veiled, that are northerners, that don't really speak proper English and whatever. They are conservative, but they also have their own stories to tell. And I yeah. want to tell those stories. Mm -hmm. Now, you're not going to have so many investors that would do that. Why? Because they are not even sure that idea is actually bankable. So this is where your what you're doing now comes in. You have mm -hmm. to build the content, you have to show traction, and then you use the numbers to now say, yes, this is actually working. How do I get money into this? Yeah. So really, at the beginning, that's the most you can do for a startup. What I usually advise startups to do, after having the courage, of course, to be flexible, is you have to learn to be financially literate. A lot of people go into business not realizing that it's a game of numbers. Mm -hmm. If you are not having numbers out, no matter how free you're doing it, after a period of time, you would get tired, you get worn out. True. So you need to be clear about how the money is working and what it is doing. It might look free, but it's not free. You're building. And building mm -hmm. requires you to put in just as much as you're going to get later. Mm -hmm. So understanding how money works for me is very essential. If you understand how money works, then you will know where you can even get the money that you need. You would know how you can actually speak to five, ten friends, so that they can invest their time. They don't have to give you money. Invest yeah. their time to do graphics for you, to get you content, to speak to someone when you want to do an interview, 
you speak to another person that's going to print less for you when you want to do your magazines. Yeah. So when you understand how money works, you know how to talk to people. And then secondly, relationships. Relationships, as we know, are the key to life itself. And mm -hmm. business is a part of life. So if you do not have good relationships with people, if you don't know how to leverage relationships, then you're going to have a problem. Relationships are the reason why somebody can say that they can make so much money now because they know an ongote or they know you know, somebody, Gates, for example, mm -hmm. just because they can be in that room with that person. And just by talking to that person, they can actually learn something that money cannot give you. Yeah. So there are certain relationships you have to build. I'm not so big on mentorship because I feel like people abuse it. People abuse access to mentorship. People abuse what type of roles mentors play in their lives. Mm -hmm. So you find that people start to idealize people instead of just being inspired by their lives and actually making their own unique self. Mm -hmm. So they start to mold their life according to how their mentor lives. You are not your mentor. You cannot live exactly as they live. You don't have the same vices. You don't have the same habits. So you have to, put, you have to really lessen the pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not about mentorship. It's about understanding the relationships that you have and knowing when to tap into them. Mm-hmm. So don't be in a hurry to just build, build. You know, especially with this whole Photoshop, people are just taking pictures. Oh, I'm in the same room with Nangote. I just want to take a picture with him and put it up on Instagram or Twitter. No. The conversation you're going to have with him for two minutes, five minutes, is much, much more important in the long run than that picture. And trust me, I understand social currency. Social currency works. Once people see that you have taken a picture with somebody, they can just you know, start talking to you differently. I get that. But what I'm saying is that don't always be in a hurry just to do pictures for Instagram. Mm -hmm. Be more invested in relationships. And when you're actually reaching out to these people, don't be in a hurry to just take. It has to be a give and take. So in my book, I talk about side by side. For me, mm -hmm. mentorship is side by side. You have to look at what am I giving this person so that they can actually take me serious. And what am I getting from them by going there to them. So don't always just, you know, be around people just because you want to do this. This thing we say in the North Maula, just because you want to do Maula around people. No. <laughs> really go there because you have something to say and you really want to learn. Yeah. You know, so, so for me, really, these two things, building relationships and financial literacy, understanding how money works, these are the two things that startups need to invest in when they're setting up their businesses. So, uh, on, like the article I, you wrote earlier, like about um, lessons you learn as an entrepreneur, you talk about picking a niche, uh, not to be make um, mm -hmm. the house of. I want to put it. Don't be a jack of all trades. Jack of all trades. <laughs> I'm not known. Like Komi. Anyway, Komi the Ruanka. Komi the Ruanka. Yeah, what? Don't be there. Komi the Ruanka. Am I like you're not expert in anything? So what yeah. is, how can you like advise someone to just pick a niche? For example, someone probably has even the money to start a business, but they don't know what niche they should go on. Mm -hmm. So what, as uh, someone who has been into like entrepreneurship for almost 10 years now, even more, what the what niche is, is? Uh, yeah. what, what, how do you think, how, how does somebody, or how would somebody pick a niche, for example? Um, so, so for picking a niche, um, you have to look at what makes, so it comes back to what we say, um, what is your value proposition, yeah. you know, or what is your unique selling point? If you understand what your unique selling point is, then you can make a niche for yourself, right? So I come back to the example of Lumo Naturals. When I went into the market, it was just, I wanted to do natural hair. 
But then over time, I said, what is the value proposition of Lumo Naturals? And I realized that from talking to our customers, they came to us more because of you know, the treatments that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And I said, if this is why people are coming to us, let's capitalize on it. You can go anywhere to style your hair, but getting the right treatment requires somebody investing a lot of time in the chemistry of how things work. Yeah. So I started to take, pay more attention to that and started to make more signature treatments that people cannot find anywhere else but at Lumo Naturals. Yeah. So that was how we were able to cover our niche for ourselves. So you have to know what your value proposition is. And you have to understand why people are coming to you. So, for example, if you're into makeup, people would say, oh, I go to her because of how she does her brows. It's always neat. It doesn't look harsh. And I look as natural as possible. If you do um, cakes, for example, somebody would say, I like going to her because, oh, her, her sponge shake is not so good, but her chocolate cake is perfect. So how do you build your entire business around, around chocolate cake. You do chocolate cake muffins, you do cho- big chocolate cakes, you do chocolate cakes for weddings, you do the ones that you put in a jar, you know, do everything around chocolate cake because people know that that is your niche and they will come to you because you are not an authority in that field. But if you get so consumed by trying to copy what the next baker is doing, always trying to perfect, you would end up all over the place and people would just, they would take you serious because they would say, this person doesn't even know what she's doing anymore. So you want them to remember you when they're talking about chocolate cake, they'll say, ah, you have to go to this particular person. And talking about brows, they're like, no, don't go to anyone else, go to her, right? Mm -hmm. That is really what picking a niche is. Picking a niche means you're a leader, people respect what you say, people take you seriously in that niche. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's the thing. Understand your value proposition, understand what makes you unique, and just make sure you harness it properly to your advantage. Also, like from your article, like uh, the lesson learned, you talk about that you should learn from those who have weathered the water before, for example. So it's yeah. basically learn from experience. So um, when people say learn from experience, a lot of time they think like, okay, learn from <laughs> experience from your own experience. But you can learn yeah. from other people's experience. So if you could expand oh, more definitely. on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. So, so that was what I was saying earlier about side by side. I talk about that in the book. Um, in the last chapter of my book, I spoke about it side by side so learning from but people that have waited so that our audience can get redefining it. beautiful yeah so the book is redefining you can find it on amazon is actually available in i think nine countries mm-hmm. on amazon and also so amazon prints the book so you can order it anywhere in the world and they'll print the book and you know send it to you okay all right yes so, um, so yeah like i was saying in the book um i talk about side by side learning from people that have you know gone before you and like i said learning should not be something where you have to meet the person the person has to know your name no you can learn from people virtually you know that's the beauty of you know um the internet now i learned so much i realized a year or two years ago that i learned a lot from videos and also from listening so I, i i listen to a lot of books i i follow people that put a lot of content on youtube um for the past year or two i've been close to obsessed with people like Simon Sinek and, you know, Vusi Tembogwayo because I feel like what they're preaching sort of like appeals and aligns with my values, which is look at people, build teams, build people, and then they will build your business. Don't be in a hurry to just make profit, profit, profit. So find people like that that inspire you, that have the same values as you, you know, that have been through what you've been through. It's also good to find um, Nigerian um, entrepreneurs 
find northern entrepreneurs, find women entrepreneurs, find Muslim entrepreneurs, you know, people that look like you that know where it pinches. Part of the problem I had, you know, with, with Luminous, yeah, that's the book. <laughs> Part of the problem I had, you know, with finding advice from people was the industry I went into did not have a lot of Muslim women, you know, when I started. Yeah. And so it was very difficult to explain to people that, you know, culturally and, you know, because of religion, I didn't want to have, you know, male stylists and all of that. So if you find people that are sort of like share certain things with you, it's easier for you to understand where it pinches. So that is why I share as much as I can, really, because people need to realize that it's okay to do it your way. Um, it's okay to stand your ground and find your way. And as you're doing that, like I said, be flexible, be flexible. But make sure that, you know, you keep your values close to you. Don't feel the need to um, water down your values or yourself just because you want to make money or make a name. All right. So um, I wanted to ask a question yeah. about you personally, the challenge you face uh, in your businesses and how you overcame or overcome that challenges. Okay. So you want me to give you an instance, right? Yeah, an instance. Yeah, an instance. Like the difficult, the ah. difficult time. Uh, so, so I think one of the most um, popular one that I've spoken about a lot is actually, you know, when we lost a few of our clients because, um, so what happened was, it was just at the beginning, I don't know if anyone can remember Deal Day. Deal Day was, you know, such a popular, like a sales or a discount website. So they do deals where they slash the prices of things down to like a crazy amount and people rush to buy the um, the voucher. Yeah. So, 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 so it was, you know, we, we had just started, it was less than a year into our business and we didn't have customers. There was no traction. And I was getting frustrated because our uh, rent was almost due. And I was like, what, do, what am I going to do to get customers in? And our location was helping because we were like at a back road at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do I need to do? And then I found Deal Day and I was like, okay, let me go to their office. So I went to the deal day office and I met this guy and he explained everything to me and I was like, okay, I want to do a deal. And he was like, okay, let's do like 50% off. So we did the 50% off and we had some customers come in, like maybe 10 or 15 customers. And December was coming, it was almost Christmas time and there was still, you know, no customers and no I was getting frustrated and I, you know, this is where, yeah, this is where greed comes as human beings, we can be greedy, right? Mm -hmm. Oliver Twist. And I was like, well, since I was able to get good customers, you know, from this first deal, maybe let me do a second deal uh, so that I can make more money. And then I went back and I did another deal. And the guy was like, he convinced me to reduce the price so low. Like, for example, if if the, 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 the thing was supposed to be 8,000, we reduced it all the way to like 1,250. Like oh, ridiculously low. That's very low. Yes. And, <laughs> of course, December is coming. So people rushed it, right? And we had, I think we had over 200 people buy that mm -hmm. voucher. Now, of course, customers came in. But what happened at the end of the day was that we were not able to give them good service. And because of that, somebody took pictures and videos and did a very lengthy post talking about you know, how bad our company is and whatever and the kind of service she had. So she gave us a very, you know, very honest review. And yeah. that review made people start canceling appointments on us. Mm -hmm. 
So I think for me, what I've learned from all of that, and we had to do a lot and a lot damage control. And what I learned from that is really don't be in a hurry to just bring people in. Yeah. Make sure that you actually have the manpower and the capacity to give value when people come. So now what I teach, you know, my students, even with the Brief Academy and when I'm talking to people, when people are saying, oh, sales, I just want customers, I ask them, no. You can do marketing for brand awareness. When people are aware, it's slow Mm -hmm. and organic, but then they're sure of the kind of value they're getting. So you can do marketing for brand awareness, but don't don't be in a hurry to do marketing for sales. Because Mm -hmm. you rush and you do marketing, people come and they pay, and you're not able to service them properly. You're going to have a problem. Yeah. And if you're not careful, people, when they leave, they're never coming back and they're going to tell other people. It doesn't matter what you tell them or how you try to convince them to come back. In our own case, we were very lucky. The lady that we did this, that wrote that review came back, you know, again, months later. She enjoyed our service. She updated that review that, that she true. did and she said, oh, you know, I, I probably judged them in a hurry. They really updated and all of that. And she continued coming back till she left Abuja. So for me, really, that was the biggest lesson there, that, you know, you can't just rush into getting customers. Timing is important. Understand the market and make sure you actually have the capacity to deliver value when the customers do come. Yeah. So to the audience, if you have any question about businesses or startups, you can send it. And uh, we don't want to take so much time off uh, Farida. Uh, so we, we can answer a couple of questions and we can continue them. We can uh, call it a night. Uh, but before not before yes, then, sure. I will continue with my questions. I'll be waiting for the audience question. Anybody who is listening can just send any question like about business because Farida is is into business. This is what she does. If you check her face, <laughs> she like she has like entrepreneur entrepreneur show and all that. So um, and you can see an article actually even on Ariel posted one of her article about entrepreneurship and all that. So you should you should uh, ask any question about business because we also have a lot of people here asking about how they can achieve success in their businesses, blah blah. But then uh, mm-hmm. people have been, basically some of them are like in a specific field. For example, last time we spoke with Momza, she's a makeup artist, and she tells she spoke about yeah. like, the specific field of makeup how you can achieve success. So I think now if someone mm-hmm. has like a general question about uh business the person can just write it down and then i think uh, you're, you're capable of answering uh basically so um additionally now for people who are starting up startup like basic startup mm-hmm. how does somebody yeah. build momentum momentum yeah momentum because like momentum is what makes the business keep running on its own so yeah how do you build that um, so, so I think to build momentum, first of all, you have to understand, like I said, building relationships, you have to understand how people think. Um, and I think in one of the videos for the show, I spoke about psychographics. Mm-hmm. You have to understand people's mindsets and why they buy and why they do what they do. So yeah. when you're doing your customer segmentation or you're trying to analyze the market and you know, do a proper survey, you have to look at all the variables. So some people will buy from you just because their friends are buying from you. They don't really care so much. Some early adopters, which means they are very um, open to trying things and they're very open to experimenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the people that are loyal. Once they find something that they like, even if they're not getting value, they're not going to move away from it. Mm-hmm. 
So when you understand all these things about people, then you would know how to create a strategy around it. Because it is only by creating strategy that you build momentum. You know, momentum doesn't happen, happen overnight. overnight. Um, I came across something recently where people, where people talk about the iceberg theory. So with the iceberg, you're just seeing the top of the iceberg and it's so beautiful and everything. But you're not seeing all, you know, the debris and the residue under the water and all the things that are happening under. So when you see momentum on the outside, trust me, there's no such thing as overnight success. It takes meticulous work. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of brain work. So I'm not usually of the opinion that it's about time. I usually say it's about smart work. Yeah. It's not about spending so many hours working. It's about actually knowing what you're doing so that you're actually harnessing the time that you have. So I usually give this example where if you look at the 24 hours that we have, and if people are sleeping eight hours, for example, then one third of their time, of their day is gone. Yeah. So basically, you just have two thirds of the day to take advantage of. And most of the time, we have so many other things we're doing. It's not just our business we're running. Some people are doing their business while they're students. Some people are housewives and running their businesses. Some people are career women and they're doing their business on the side. So they have their nine to five. And really, some other people just have other passions that they're pursuing, right? So you have to look at all these things. So work smart. It's not about working hard. It's not about how many hours you put in. It's about what you're doing with that time. Do you mm -hmm. need to reach out to somebody? Like I spoke about building relationships earlier. Do you need to make a 30 minutes phone call where somebody is going to connect you to someone else? And just by speaking on their, you can actually get more, more customers. Mm -hmm. You know, Do you need to do flyers and actually go out and do cold calls and actually just introduce your business to people. You know, mm -hmm. one thing I find a lot of people do once they start running their business and they have a few followers online, they assume that they don't need to introduce themselves when they go to places. Yeah. I'm sorry, you can be popular on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, but I don't know you. So yeah. when you meet me, don't just assume that I know you or I know your business. True. Always introduce yourself without too much airs. Get to know people, you know, just... Stay true to yourself and what you're trying to build. Another problem I find people have is that they mix who they are and who and the identity of their business. Mm -hmm. So most of the time you find that when their business is down, they're down. When their business is up, they're up. Or yeah. they even attach their self-worth and their self-value to what their business is. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is a big issue because if you're running a business as a startup, right from the beginning, you have to understand that your business is a separate entity and mm -hmm. you are a separate entity. You are the person behind the business at the beginning. You are the founder. You are birthing this idea. But that business should not rely solely on you. As you mm -hmm. grow in the next six months, nine months, one year, you have to build a team, a capable team around that vision. Because yeah. if you fail to do that, when the business fails, no more about the people is about you. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when I speak to founders, they tell me, oh, it's hard to get good staff, this and that. And I keep telling them, look back in the mirror. What type of leadership style are you using? Mm -hmm. What type of business are you trying to build? Are you trying to build a value-based business? Are you just tr trying to look at money? Because if you're trying to look at just money, trust me, people know when you're using them just for money. Yeah. And they're going to give you exactly what you asked for. Mm -hmm. So True. really for me, what is very essential is for you to understand that as you're trying to build momentum, you're also building a brand. You're building a legacy. So smart work, not just rush, rush, rush to make the money or just work hard, hard, hard without putting the work out there. Because what good is all the work if nobody knows what you're doing? Yeah. So we have a comment. We have 
two comments. One coming from Zuera. A few uh, questions. First coming okay. from Zuera. She said, uh, it's true. It's about working smart. I work so hard to the extent that I feel like I'm not working smart. So she's sad about herself. Yeah. And then we have a question from Tristan NG. So Tristan uh, NG is asking or is saying, what advice would you give a startup going into retail partnership? Retail partnership. Um, so, so I think my first advice would be um, to do your research on the person you're about to go into partnership with. Um, do you guys have the same values? Um, do you have the same vision for this business? Mm -hmm. um, and then look at also people that they've gone into partnerships with before. Try and talk to them or see what the people have to say about the relationship they've had with them. You know, very important. Start with that. Um, if it's possible, try and build um, a cordial relationship with them. I, I'm not saying a friendship because business and friendship is very different. And sometimes mm -hmm. when you go into partnership and you make friends of those people, it becomes very sticky later. So build a cordial relationship. There should be mutual respect. There should be mutual understanding, but you don't have to be friends. Um, then lastly, I would say um, understand how you are actually, um, how that symbiotic relationship is going to help everybody. Sorry, I'm putting a bit of biology here. So, so but, but how is, how are you going to... Profit from yeah. yeah. How are you going to profit from being with them, and how are they going to profit from being with you, right? Mm -hmm. So don't make it one-sided because if you make it one-sided and they have all the power, then you know power gets to people's heads, and this can happen with anybody. Somebody will just wake up one morning and I'll be like, well, after all, her business cannot run without me, and then they start giving you some ridiculous terms that you cannot, you know, um, keep up with, and yeah. it makes your business very difficult to build and grow. So, so make sure that, you know, that is, that is there. And then finally, uh, most importantly, we should have, should have been the first, but I would say it either ways, make everything legal. No matter how good you think the person is or no matter what you think, that's one problem we have in the North. We always take people by face, face value. You cannot yeah. afford to do that in the 21st century. Don't take people by face value or the name of their family or whatever you think they built. No, have everything in writing. Let it be clear who is doing what, what is going where, what are the deliverables, what is the penalty if you don't deliver. These things yeah. should be there. And you should have a lawyer present. Mm -hmm. I think for me, those are the three things that I would say. So I, would, I want to ask, uh, for the audience, if you have questions, you can send it. But I want to ask also, um, uh, the question skipped my head. Uh, do you have like a course? On your own that you 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 want to like you give to people who want to start business for example maybe you give like a week course or two oh weeks yeah course. so 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 with the brief academy we have two course tracks um we mm. have the startup for the people that want to start up and then we have what we call the good design um so those two are things that i used to do physically but i realized this that i really did not have the time and really, my mind was choked with so much other projects that I wasn't able to take it around as I wanted to. So now I'm making an online course. It's going to be live. Right? Um, we're hoping that the course will be live before the end of this year. Um, mm -hmm. We're putting finishing touches to it, so I don't want to be quick to make announcements um, before we're ready. But yes, definitely the online course is going to be live um, for the two tracks. So growth design is for people that have been running their business from two to five years. Yeah. They just need someone to share what they are going through so they can help them grow. And then the first one, which is, you know, the Startup Basics course, 
is for people that want to start or have started in and their business is less than two years old. So mm -hmm. from zero to two years, and then from two to five years. Because I'm trying to keep it in such a way that I'm teaching only what I know from experience. Yeah. I read a lot, I research a lot, but at the same time, I like to put my own spin on things. So whatever I'm teaching you in my course should be things that I know that I've mm -hmm. been through. You know, yeah. not just, you know, talking for talking sake. Right. So which is why I don't even call myself a coach. I'm just like your regular tutor that just wants to share what she knows. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Trets, Trets yeah. said, very insightful, all point noted, thank you very much. And then, Zuer Issa yeah. said, I have been baking for two years plus, uh, and Alhamdulillah, it's been growing. I find it difficult to employ or let people bake my cake for me. I feel that they cannot do it properly for me. And then she said, plus, <laughs> I have space issues. What advice do you have for me? Uh, before, yeah, so, before I, I totally that, understand that, Zuera. Mm -hmm. But before yeah. advice we have, uh, she has a sense that says she, she needs, I need that growth course. So she needs that growth course. So how can somebody get to you first? Okay. Maybe you have a website or something. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'll, I'll share that at the end. Yeah, so so for Zoya, um, I totally understand where you're coming from. And, 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 and I feel for people that know how to bake and cook, they always say that it's such a personal experience. Um, you know, they put all their emotions in things. So they feel like nobody Nobody else can do it like them. So yeah. <laughs> I totally get where you're coming from. And I know people like that. And that's totally okay. Um, what I'll advise you to do is to get an intern. Get somebody to understudy you. Um, it's going to require you to let go a little bit um, yeah. and try and trust them and allow them to actually make mistakes and learn from their own mistakes. Um, when you have an intern you're still overseeing everything they're doing. So they're not working on their own. It's not like you have a staff staff. You actually have an intern that is still learning and trying to understand how you want things done. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, while you are the one doing the baking, she's the one measuring, she's the one um, researching about, out, about ingredients and recipes. She's the one researching what kind of value you're trying to bring to your brand. You're teaching her about etiquettes. You're teaching her about morals. You're teaching her about hygiene. Build her gradually to sort of understudy and be like a second you. Yeah. And then when you get to that point where you can trust her, then you can to say, okay, bake one cake for me. Let me try it. And then give it to some of your loyal customers for free. What do you think? Can you tell the difference if I made this cake or not? Mm -hmm. You know, you would know when you're ready. Don't be in a rush to let the person bake after a month or two. You would know when you're ready. You know, you would feel ready. So mm -hmm. that's really my advice for you. Once you get to that point, then you can let go. Now, when, you, when you're able to get someone that wants to stay long-term, you can have that person be sort of like your assistant manager. And then mm -hmm. because that person understands your business's values and etiquettes and morals, that person can actually help you in hiring other people. So when the work starts to get too much, she would say, okay, I need somebody to help with the way in, so I need an assistant. Then you can now, together actually interview somebody to be her assistant for baking. And then over time, she would tell you, okay, when it comes to baking this type of cake, I need help. Let's get somebody and train them to do that. So you see, she's actually helping you with recruitment as well. Why? Yeah. Because the vision is not just yours anymore. It's hers as well. Yeah. So that would be my advice for you. Get an intern, teach her over time to understudy you, and then when you're ready, you can trust her to do some of the work. All right. So now back to the question of how someone can get your course and what is your website and how can someone uh, be part of the course? Yes, yeah, so my website is um, just my name, www.faridayahaya.com. 
Um, there's no A between the H and the Y. And I like to say that because sometimes people go looking for me and then they can't find it. So it's just my full name, FaridaYahaya.com. So when you go on the website, you will see courses. And you can click on any of the two courses. Um, for now, we are not taking payment until we have a date. Mm -hmm. But when you go there, you'll be able to see what kind of um, content we're doing for the courses. And then there's a contact me button there as well. So if you want to send me a message to ask more questions, you can do that. Um, I'm actually more, you know, it's easier to get me on Instagram or, or Twitter than it is to get me on the website because it has to go through the website manager. So yeah. if you have any question that is very pressing, you can just send me a message now on my Instagram and I would, of course, gladly uh, answer. Instagram handle is Deferida here. <laughs> yes. Like this is the Farida, not the other one. So Zuera is saying, wow, thank you very much. Thank you so much. This is really helpful. So Zuera is yeah. thanking you. You're welcome, Zuera. Yeah. You're so welcome. I think with this, thank you very much for talking to us on Ariwal. Uh, we hope to have you again. And uh...